Okay, welcome back, everyone. <clears throat> so we said that we're going to not do um, Parak Aleph inside, because it's a good way to lose the crowd. It's, it's very involved in the wording. But I, do, I don't want to skip it over. The, the Amchal is setting things up as a, a binion. Each thing in its proper place with what needs to come afterwards built on top of what came before. So to skip would not work. Um, we'll try to not leave anything out as we go through it, but not to spend the over amount of time on this first piece, which takes, again, it's, it's not exciting. Um, when we talk about Hashem, so there's three levels in which we speak about Hashem. And it's an extremely important idea, especially when you learn Sifrei Chassidus or Sifrei Kabbalah or the Ramchal where he's dealing with the, the, the very shroshim of where the universe and existence comes from. And you're talking about very delicate topics. So it's extremely important not to make certain mistakes when we talk about Hashem. There's an Isr Chomor called Hamgosha, which means attributing any Gashmis, any form to Hashem. The, the Svarim point out that even thinking of Hashem as an as a abstract, uh, as a, a light, or as a, a, a Kabbalistic uh, tree of some sort, is Osir. And it's Osir Hamur, it borders on Avayda Zaran, one is not allowed to do it. So when we talk about Hashem, we have to be very clear what we're speaking about. The first level of speaking about Hashem is what is referred to as the Atzmius of Hashem. That's the essence of Hashem Himself. What Hashem is. And what Hashem is, is completely unknowable to us, as we spoke last week. There are things that are, it has no shaykhs to our reality. It's so unknowable, the, the girl writes about it, that you're not even allowed to say about Hashem that He must exist. Which is one of the most basic things you could say about Hashem, is that He must exist, that He has to exist. You, about the etzim of Hashem, we're not allowed to speak. Any, any, us talking about him is already bringing him down, saying that he's in our world to the point that we can say he's not in our world. He's so out of the world, we can't even say that much. The only thing you could say is that there is a, a God who exists, and that's it. And we know nothing about that God at all. So that's the first level. Whenever we speak about Hashem, therefore, we have to know that we're not talking about the Atzmius of Hashem. We're not talking about Hashem Himself. Right, so that's not, you're not Hashem. So, <laughs> so of course it's Hashem. But it's not Hashem Himself. So, um, so what is it? So what are we supposed to, what are, do we talk about? The second level is, in our terminology, we'd call it an avatar. Hashem was had this plan to, to have a world where there would be beings that would relate to him. But Hashem in his essence is completely unrelatable. Anything that's created is automatically totally different than Hashem who's not created. Anything which is dependent upon God, which everything is, is completely unrelated to Hashem who's totally not dependent on anyone outside himself. So there's no point of interaction between Hashem in His essence and anything else. And therefore, because the whole point of the Briyaz we're going to learn is that interaction between Hashem and the things that He created. So they had, Hashem had to, so to speak, create a form of Himself 
that would be interactable with. So Hashem made a projection. That's referred to in the Svarim as the Or of Hashem. It's, they use that term, first of all, because Or is, an, is not a physical thing in the normal sense. Even to the extent that science of today has broken it down to a physical form, it's a physical form, the photons that don't follow the normal laws of physics, and they are in two states at once, and they're in flux, and they, 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 they set the speed limit of the universe at the speed of light, nothing can go above that, and they don't act with the normal laws of physics, they act almost as if they're above them, so that's, it, it's a good example of this, of Hashem still, that He's totally different from everything else. Also, R allows us to see, and allows us to perceive things, and the R Hashem is something that we can perceive. Now, even when you talk about R Hashem, it's, we still say that we can understand it, and but now we already have Rishus to talk about it. We're talking about that thing. We're talking about Hashem, who has given to us to relate to Him as Avinu, Malkeinu. Actually, Avinu, Malkeinu is the next step down. So, it would be an example of this. That in the world that we live in, Hashem is the king of everything. He rules over everything. It's an in-between of the, the bottom two steps. But again, that's going to be the third step that I'm about to describe. But let's say when we say about Hashem that Hashem is all-powerful. To, to speak about Hashem's essence and say He's all-powerful means He can do. But the whole concept of doing doesn't, in Hashem's world, doesn't, there's no time, there's no space, there's no, there's no before, there's no after. So it doesn't make sense. Any, the whole word doing doesn't make sense. Speech, my perception of Hashem doing something doesn't make any sense. So that's all in the second level. After when Hashem creates this thing that we can speak about, which we relate to as if it's as Hashem. That is Hashem, as far as we're concerned. We just have to be aware that there's a deeper level that we can't even talk about. So why did He have to make this avatar versus making us smarter to comprehend it? So, uh, no, it's not, it's not a smart problem. It's there's a there's a they can't there you don't have the tools no matter how smart you'd be they the only tool there is to comprehend him is himself. <laughs> Hashem is doesn't have parts like the Rambam's lotion of Hashem is uh, again he's talking about the avatar but is who Deya who Hamada who he is the knowledge he's the knower of the knowledge and he's the act of knowing. The, the, so, so to speak, if we could know Hashem, we would have to be Hashem. Also, can't know Hashem completely because the Neshama is a prat; it's a part. It's a chelak, but it can't know. And even to use the word chelak, Hashem doesn't have any parts. So, the Neshama, when we speak about it as a differentiated being, as something that has a self-perception and understands itself to exist, is already so separate from Hashem and, and that it can't relate to the the realness of Hashem. There's a third level, and that's the midos of Hashem. That's how Hashem interacts with the world, and that's, we speak from our perspective when we do that. And Chumash does it all the time. It speaks of Hashem remembering and forgetting, and Hashem getting angry and being happy, and those are all states of change, and Hashem does not change. Hashem doesn't change. So though whenever we speak like that, we're talking from our perspective. And we're saying that I... What I, the way I'm seeing this 
is I'm seeing Hashem being happy. I am seeing Hashem acting the way that I act when I'm happy. I see Hashem acting the way I act when I'm upset. So we call it by those names. Um, it, it's even on our level we can understand that it's not that the, the names aren't always accurate. The Hainu. Uh, let's say a father um, loves his son. And he sees his son wants uh, a bike. So he goes and he gets his son a bike. Right? Where is that coming from? The getting of the son a bike. It's coming from the love of the father. Then the father says, you can't ride that bike unless you put on a helmet. So that's a restriction. He's saying, you can't ride the bike. Where is that restriction coming from? The same love. Right? If the child... Um, Wears the helmet, so the father is so happy to see him riding the bike, that's coming from the same love. If the child then stops wearing the helmet, the father takes away the bike, it's coming from the same love. If the father sees that the kid's having trouble, so he makes him a deal, if you wear the helmet, I'll give you a candy. It's coming from, it's coming, it's not because he wants his rules to be followed, it's because he wants his rules to be followed so that the child can be safe, so that he can enjoy the bike, all coming from the same love. So, from the father's perspective, and anyone who, who can understand that point of view, an adult who can understand the rules and why they're made, says, what do I see here? I see love straight across the board. From the child's immature point of view, he sees differentiated responses. Today, my father bought me a bike, he loves me. Now he told me, I could only wear it if I wear a hat. Oh, he hates me. Right? Now he let me ride, he loves me. Now he took the bike away, he hates me. Right? So the child sees different anhogas of his father, Vaseline back and forth, and he doesn't understand that they all come from the same shayrish. Or in, in the, we would say about that, that Hashem, there's only one, Hashem is one, this avatar, so to speak, of Hashem. The Or Hashem is one. It's all chesed. All the time, always. Based on how we act and what we need, that chesed will come down in different forms. Some down will come down as chesed. Straight up chesed. Sometimes it will come as a restriction on our Chesed. Sometimes it will, will come as a challenge. Right? So to us, speaking from our perspective, we talk about it the way we see it. But we have to understand that there's a higher level where it's, it's all coming from Hashem, unchanged. So we're now going to talk about some things about Hashem. And we'll, we'll try each time to, in this parak, what he wants to talk about is the R of Hashem. What does that mean? What is it? What, what features does it have? When we speak about God and we say, I believe in Hashem, what are we saying? What do we mean with that statement? When we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Lekeno, Hashem Echad, what is included in that statement? What am I believing? <clears throat> As we encounter the difficulty of dealing with, uh, uh, relating to Hashem, so there's a Gevald that Hashem did to help us relate to Him. There's a famous question that's asked, if you want to see some information on it, the Kliyokr, the, the beginning of B'chukaisai, uh, he makes a, a summary of seven answers to this question. The question is, why is Olam Haba never mentioned in the Torah? The point of all of existence is to get to Olam Haba. That's why we were made. It's not for here, it's for there. And yet it's never mentioned in the Torah. In, in um, even the places in Nach where it's mentioned, because I'll tell us it's not referring to Olam Haba, it's referring to Yemaisa Mashiach. It's referring to a very uh, pristine and ecstatic state in this world, but part of the existence of this world. The final result 
of what comes after everything, that a person exists in a bond with Hashem forever, is never spoken about in the Torah. The question is, why not? Another way of phrasing the question is, uh, the way the Rambam puts it, that the Torah repeatedly gives us physical reward as what's going to happen if you do the mitzvahs. We say it in Shema every day. If you keep the Torah, so Hashem will give rain, etc., etc. Why does Hashem talk as if that's the reward for what's going to happen? So the Rambam comes at it from an angle of that we know there's no reward in this world. So he's just trying to explain why it's not a reward that's being described there. It's, a, it's just a, a siyua, it's a help to be able to continue to serve Hashem. Someone who serves Hashem with what the tools are given. So it's an investment. Hashem gives more tools. And he invests in that person further, right? The, the best thing a person can do to, if they want to become wealthy is when, with, the money, with, with the money they have, do good deeds with it. Do tzedakah, support Torah. And then Hashem says, okay, you're a good investment for money. Let's, let's put some more money in here. And see what happens then. Not just money, but if a person has intelligence, if a person has charisma, if a person has anything that they can give to others, and they use it for that purpose, or to further Hashem's plan in this world, so that becomes a tremendous source of bracha for a person to bring down more of that to themselves and to expand their, their opportunities. The Shlaw has a fascinating answer to the question of why the Olam Hab is not mentioned, and why Hashem keeps referring, telling us He's going to give us physical things. And what the Shlach says, in short, He says that when Hashem says He's going to give rain, He's talking about Olam Haba. Every time the Torah says a physical thing, it's talking about Olam Haba. But like we mentioned last time, if it would use the Olam Haba words, if it would talk about it in terms of Olam Haba, which we've never experienced, so we wouldn't know what it's saying. It would have to use words that we had never heard. So what Hashem did was, He made a mushal for Olam Haba. The mushal for Olam Haba is Olam Haza. This world is designed to reflect the realities of Olam Haba. And when Hashem says, I'm going to give you rain, He means I'm going to give you the spiritual thing called rain. But you wouldn't know what that means when I said rain. So I'm going to make a physical counterpart to that, you'll get a sense of what it's supposed to mean, and then you can begin to understand what I'm talking about when I say it in Olam Haba. What does rain do here? It creates tremendous growth. It cleanses. It, uh, it, it, it becomes the source of water, which is what makes our bodies function. It's the source of life to all. It trickles down. It has certain features. So when we ponder and, and analyze rain and water and what it does and how important it is, in this world, so we understand that there's a similar concept in the Olam HaEmes, and Hashem is promising you that if you serve Him properly, you will get that. You will have smichos, you will have growth in Olam Haba. You will, you'll be cleansed in Olam Haba. You'll have the sustenance that a person needs. Your soul won't be parched when it comes to Olam Haba. But if He would just say those words without you having ever experienced what rain is, so then you wouldn't understand any of what He said. To give it a different marshal, this one, the the um, the, the Bastfunas Ramkal himself, a different sefer, he gives. He says that we know that Hashem is mashkiach on the world, right? So he looks out over the world. So if we if we did not know what looking meant, and we didn't have eyes, so it would be very hard for us to understand what it means that Hashem supervises and looks and sees, right? 
we would, if we only have an ear. So you'd have to, you'd have to take words that talk about hearing and try to make them, right? And everyone knows, if I just want to get away from someone who can only hear, I just do it very quietly. The eye overcomes that difficulty. That I can see you even if you're not making any noise. And we want, Hashem wanted us to understand that, that you don't have to be talking out loud. I can see into your heart. I can see into your soul. So Hashem gave us an eye so that we can understand what that means. And He says it's very specific. Hashem has three ways that He runs the world. The first way is Hashem, we'll learn about it later, is Hashkocha clothes. That means Hashem wants there to be cows in the world, so they have to be cows. Hashem wants there to be sheep, so they have to be sheep. According to that way of running the world, when a cow dies, it's not, there's no specific cheshbon, this cow should die, this cow should die. On Rosh Hashanah, Hashem says, okay, this year there's going to be more cows than there were last year. So some cows have more babies, less cows get hit by cars, whatever, and it goes. That's Hashkocha Klolis. Have to be people, so there's people. He says, the, the outside of the eye is the white part. White is a blend of all colors. So it's the, everything coming together in an undifferentiated way, non-specific. That's the outer part of the eye, the white part of the eye. The white part of the eye is not involved in seeing. Because the reality is that Hashkoch Klolis is not how the world runs. It gives the appearance of the running of the world. But in the end, everything comes down to schusim from other people. That's the second part of the eye. That's Hashkoch protis. That based on a person's actions, now currently in the way the world is set up right now, it only affects, it's only by Jews. But you do good, so you get good, bad. You get good, bad, or whatever the good for you would be. You do bad, so you get bad, back, whatever bad for you would be. That's something that's constantly changing, and it's different for every person. For that, is the second part of the eye, the colored part of the eye, the iris. And that's something which expands and contracts, it gets bigger, it gets smaller. Different people have different colored eyes. Hashem is showing you, there's a second way of looking that I have. And that is more individual to the person. It's something that will change depending on circumstances. More light, so what happens when there's more light? So the iris gets bigger. Right? The, uh, the, the, the black part shrinks to keep out, not so much light should come in. And the, blue, the colored part gets bigger. When a person is doing the right thing, he's bringing more R into the world. So then his hashkocha protis more closely matches up with the purpose of the world. And it expands. How much hashkocha protis Hashem gives him, how much individual attention Hashem gives him expand. When a person brings darkness into the world with his actions, when he does what he's not supposed to do, so then the black part expands and the colored part shrinks. And that represents to us that Hashem's hashkocha protis of a person will be different, will be smaller, will be less, will be more in darkness how his life is run. It's still going to all be according to Hashem's plan. The final way that Hashem runs the world, the Ramchal says over there, is called, uh, he calls it, uh, um, um, uh, what does he has a funny name for it? Something ilah, derech ilah. It's 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 a hidden way where everything is always going according to Hashem's plan. No matter which way you go, it's going to according to Hashem's plan. That's something we can't understand. That that's hidden from us, and that's the black part of the eye. The black part of the eye is actually not a part. It's it's just a hole. It's light going in that we can don't see coming back out, and. It, that exactly represents what that is. It's really where the sight happens is only in the black part. The blue doesn't see, the white doesn't see, it's the black that sees. But the seeing is happening deep inside 
and the singing is happening really upside down from the way you're singing it. The light comes in and gets flipped over and then switched halfway across your brain. And it's totally different than the way you see it. So Hashem gave us an eye. He said, study this eyeball. And when you study the eyeball, so then you'll get a sense of what it is that I do when I say that I'm ashkiach on you, that I watch over the world. And instead of having concepts that we could never understand, we now have concepts that we could understand. When, when the, the, the Torah sometimes Hashem says, I'll take you out with an outstretched arm. So the Rambam says, he, has long, he keeps repeating himself over and over again. Don't think that means Hashem has a hand, he doesn't have a hand, he doesn't have a hand. Just Bibra Torah Kalosh So there's those who ask, they say, so the Torah is lying? What does that mean? You keep calling, thanking Hashem's hand, and, you, and Hashem doesn't have a hand. So the Shloh says, this is the answer to it. It, the Torah is talking about the real hand. And Hashem is the Zerayin is really using His hand. But that's a spiritual concept that we would have no shaykhs to. Hashem made a mushal. We're the mushal. Us, our body, our existence, our world, our emotions are all a mushal for the way things are for Hashem so that we should be able to predict them and understand them. We find by us that when we are... Um, when a person is happy, so it, it becomes, they want to give. It's like an expansive feeling. A person who's had something amazing happen to them, they want to share it with someone else. But there's a joke they say, there was a rabbi of a community someplace who decided that since on, on Yom Kippur, finally everyone in his, in his congregation comes to shul, so it's a perfect time for him to go golfing. Not, not, not an Orthodox rabbi. So he, so he went out onto the golf course, and he takes a swing, ball bounces, hits a tree, whatever, hole in one. So he's leaping around, and he, wow, a hole in one. He takes a second hole, hole in one. Third hole, hole in one. So eventually, the malachim, the, the mamish, they go to Hashem and they say, what's going on? Why are you getting a hole in one at each time? So Hashem looks at him and says, who is he going to tell? What's the use of getting a hole-in-one right on every hole if you can't ever tell anyone that you did it? When you have something amazing, the, the natural things that you want to share with someone. Why does Hashem give us that sense of feeling? Why does Hashem give us this feeling that when we have something we want to share, when we're happy we want to share? Hashem wants us to understand when He says, I, I'm happy with you. And He's going to tell us that. When He says, when you do this, you're making me happy, so to speak. That we should know... We, so now we can predict. It, what we should expect is that Hashem will share with us that there will be an abundance of bracha because we know that's how it works by us. Hashem gave us those feelings so that we can understand how they work by Him. And therefore, part of an avoid of a person in this world is to study themselves, both physically, emotionally, and see how things work because that's supposed to be a tool to understand how Hashem works. It should be that when a person is nifter, and they unzip the body, and the shama comes out, and it walks into Olam Haba. There's a moment of, what? and that, oh yeah, I recognize this place. It's an exact, this is the world I always lived in. I always lived in a spiritual world. I always lived in a world. I was always translating what I saw in the physical world into the spiritual. There may be a few things, oh, I didn't get, ah, ah cute, cute cop. I get it. I see how that matches up now. And that will be part of the fun, is matching up 
Oh, it's so midweek, it's taka. Oh, oh, oh. That's going to be part of the zach. But if a person who lived this whole world just physical, so that you get up there, you're not going to understand what you're seeing. Your mind is all running on physical lines and everything is tied to physicality. So you, you never, you're, you're, it's not going to have the tool to comprehend what it's seeing and what it's experiencing. And it's going to be a very slow process to familiarize itself with a whole new language and a whole new set of tools. I don't remember if the other remembers, uh, Ms. Tamit was uh, three or four years ago, on, before Shabbat Shuvah, I think it was. So we had someone came to, the, to 750 to, to speak, um, a tallish fellow. No, it wasn't a Lechter. Someone, he's, he's in the neighborhood here someplace, I don't know, black beard, shortish black beard, tall fellow. Did we help him? Maybe. So he said a beautiful marshal. He said, there's a fellow, he, you know, he, ran, he ran out of Syria, and he smuggled himself across the border someplace, and he's you know, going from place. He ends up in Hungary. And, uh, but, but he's in Hungary, and that, maybe he's going to stop there. But really, the gold standard of, of you know, these things is to get a visa to America and to go there. So at the time, uh, uh, Obama was, President Obama was, had some of his program that for a few people he was going to be giving. So this guy puts in his application, and he's waiting and waiting. Meanwhile, you know, I'm here in Hungary. He had a little diamond that he heard in the bottom of his shoe. He takes it out, he translates it. He says, let me, uh, he's going to learn the language, the customs. So he goes to a tutor, and he's, he spends all his money learning how to speak Hungarian, and how to bake Hungarian, and cook Hungarian, and walk Hungarian, talk Hungarian, think Hungarian. And then he gets a call. Yeah, the visa came through, you're going to America. And he gets on the boat and goes to America. He has no money. He speaks Hungarian, talks Hungarian, cooks Hungarian. So, you know, he hangs out on Ocean Parkway and he plays chess and whatever. He cooks Vladushka and whatever else it is. But he's never able to integrate into the American experience because he spent all his time as in transit learning how to be the place that he was never going to be staying. He's investing in the place he'll never be. And that's what, that's what we do. We send down to this world we're sent down to this world to get, in, it's a transit place, like Ramkal says in the Silsha Sharm, it's a proizder to get to Olam Habo. And we learn to speak the language of the proizder. And we train ourselves. We really come from up there. We speak that language naturally. And we forget it. And we teach ourselves earth, earth language and earth customs and earth ways of thinking about things and earth values. And just when we're really getting it good, we're nifted. And we go back to Shemayim. And you have to talk that language. And, and you don't. And your neshama, because it's, it's baked itself into this world, runs back to this world. That's what I tell my Talmudim. Someone who says, Rabbi, I have to be by the Super Bowl. I, 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 to watch, I have to watch the Super Bowl. And so I said, look, if either one of the teams in it, the Super Bowl, you go for, so we have what to talk about. Because then that's the team you go for, whatever. It's not a thing, it's a good zakat for the point I'm making. It's also not good. But that's what I tell them. But, I, Stam, you have to watch. Yeah, 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 I have to watch. That means this person is Oduk in Super Bowl. He, 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 that part of his existence, the way he defines it, is I'm a guy who watched Super Bowl. What's going to happen to such a person is, he's going to be sitting there, enjoying Olam Haba, and suddenly, he's going to feel himself sucked out of Olam Haba. And he's going to find himself sitting on the couch in his undershirt, scratching his stomach, drinking a beer, watching the Super Bowl. 
And he's going to say, what, 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 what happened? No, no. But that's who he is. And you don't change after you die. And now, of course, he understands. This for that? That's crazy. But that's who you are. And, and he's going to eat himself alive. He's going to, no, no, that's not me. It's not me. He's going to have to do a lobotomy on himself and rip it out of his personality. That's canon. And when he finally rips it out, so then that's when that process stops. And instead of being, living in this world, he lives in that world finally. But when you rip it out, if it was a, really a part of who you are, there's a hole there afterwards. And it does, that hole doesn't come back. That's why when a person does an Avera, it's very important to do tshuva right away. Because if you do tshuva, it's always a surface thing. Even if you repeat it over and over and over and over again, and you keep falling and you keep messing up, and you, you say, why am I doing that? But you do tshuva on it, so it never becomes a part of your self-definition. Harayah, you're still upset about it. But when a person allows certain Averis to become, this is who I am. I talk during the happening. Ah, don't bother me about that. Or whatever else it may be. So that it becomes a part of his definition of himself. So his, he can't fully engage in, in Olam Ames until he makes it on a part of himself. And, I, and you know, if you ever had, you know, like a little piece of skin, maybe on the bottom of your toe, that was long. So you start to pull it. And you pull too far and you get into the live skin and it, Hurts a lot. It's not kashmak. So ripping off your own skin is very painful. Right? They, they had this miser with some guy who uh, got his arm caught in like some rocks while he was rock climbing. And he had to saw his arm off with a blunt rock. So, what? Or a sharp rock? Pocket knife. Nish kashmak. Right through skin, flesh, bone, sinew. Not kashmak a process. So... But, but Lamaisa, he's not touching himself at all. He's not touching his psyche. It's not really him. That's just the case. Imagine what it takes to, to cut things out of your very essence of, the, of who you are. It's the most painful thing. So we're trying not to do that. We're trying to, in our time on this world, train ourselves to look at ourselves as a spiritual being. To look at the piece of meat that we inhabit as, as that. It's a tool that we use to serve Hashem. But the real us, the Neshama, fills us. Now we're going to learn in, in this Sefer that that's not fully an accurate way of looking at it too. The Ramchal holds that a human is a bond between a body and a soul. It's not, it's not that the, the body is just a tool. It's more than that. But, but uh, to begin to see reality as being the spiritual forces that are behind something. Um, Dessler writes, he says, if a person would get on a plane to go to Eretz Yisrael, and uh, so he, you know, he lands in Eretz Yisrael, so you say, oh, and he say, oh, how come you came to Eretz Yisrael? So he says, because this is where the plane let me off. So he's right. If the plane would have made a and gone someplace else, Turkey, you know, then he'd be in Turkey. He wouldn't be in Israel. But if a person answers that way, he's obviously trying to evade your question. You know that's not what I meant when I asked the question, and I know that's not what you think I meant when I asked the question, and you're just trying to not answer me. So he says, how come when we ask, how come this person died? So everyone is very comfortable giving the direct cause reason. He died because of a heart attack. I understand that he died when his heart stopped beating. Thank you. Why did he die? 
What do you mean? Because it's hard stuff. That's like answering, I'm in Eretz because that's where the plane dropped me off. It's true, but why did the plane drop you off there? Why did you get on a plane which was flying to Eretz Yisrael? I'm, I'm going for the reasons that are behind the reasons. So how come we all understand that we should answer when you ask why you're in Eretz we should answer the, with the Kavona why we came. But we don't understand why when we ask when someone was Nifter to give the, the, the reason behind it. Right? He was Nifter either because his time was up he was nifter because of a kapara. He was nifter as a, as a something for Claudius. So he was nifter because of his abers. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is. Maybe that's why we don't answer that way, because we don't know the answer. But don't give the other answer. Don't give the proximate cause. Say, who can know? That's what you should have. Eh, who can know? That, that's a good answer. What do you mean? What did he die from? Oh, that's what you meant. Okay, yeah. Right? That, you, could, you could say that. Right? But, so it's an example of the way we're not thinking properly. We're not thinking we're not thinking ruchniistic. We're thinking very physical. We have to notice it. It's just something about ourselves. It's natural, obviously. We're born into a physical world. In our younger years, we live completely physical. And the das, which will allow us to translate physical into the thing behind it, comes much later. It's at a disadvantage. And the physical has home court advantage. Right? We shakua, we live in it, we feel it, we taste it, we smell it. We... Experience it with all five senses. And this you're asking someone to just understand with Seichel. And it does tell us the importance of learning to be misboing. Of learning to think to the point that you become, it becomes a sensory experience. To use your imagination and to really spend time deeply until you become emotionally moved by the thought that you're having. Mere thoughts are never going to win out against the full body experience of Olam you have to try and use tachbulas, use uh, muscle and imagination and, 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 and tools and, and tricks in order to get yourself involved. In Slavodka, they, they had this thing, they still do in a Chavitzchayim yeshivas, that they, uh, they give a shmuz, and then it's Chazar as a shmuz the next day. And everyone tries to rip apart the shmuz, and the, the one who gave it has to defend it on logical grounds. And the idea behind it is that when you, let, let's say the shmuz was that double parking is bad. Right? So I could say double parking is bad from day to tomorrow, but when I need a double park, you know, whatever, it's two seconds. But if just yesterday he was screaming, no, double parking is also mid-the-rice, it's like killing someone. And you mamisha, you were, nah. So tomorrow it's going to be a little hard to double park because you got your emotions involved in it. It became your svara. And it became your thing. And when it becomes you, it affects you deeply. That's a takbula, it's a trick. You, you figure out a way to make it much more real by you. We have to do that when it comes to Olam Haba. We have to do that when it comes to spiritual things, is figure out a way to make them more real and more about who we are. Okay, I, I went off. The things in this parak that he says about Hashem are as follows. There are six things that he says about Hashem. Number one is that you have to believe that Hashem exists. Okay, if you, if you, for those of you who, if you just want to flip through it on, in the, inside the Sefer, so it's uh, paragraph Aleph. Um, he says that you have to believe that Hashem exists. And he touches up the word Hashem. Obviously, um, Muslims believe that Hashem exists too. They give us a little bit of a different name. But they believe Hashem exists. And they believe Hashem is one. Really, for Muslims, it's not, it's not a void Zara. It's, it's not a belief that we allow, but it's not an void Zara. So, but obviously, it's not our Hashem. Because they believe different things about Him than we believe. To just say, I believe in Hashem, and think that what the word means is a spoon, so then, right, I believe in God. 
and hold up a spoon. No, you don't believe in the same Hashem that I believe in. So we have to define the word before we use it. So Christianity, Christianity, it, it believe it, it, because of because of a specific belief they have in that Hashem is parts. So it, it, it more doesn't qualify as our Hashem than, than Islam doesn't. But, uh, but they, they, uh, Christians would argue the point. They would say they believe in one God. He just happens to be three. And if you don't understand that, excellent, because you're not supposed to. That's what they'll say. No, they say you're not supposed to. That's what faith is about, not understanding. You understand now why they lose. Whenever they, whenever they go a Christian against a scientist in these um, discussions, it's a galechter. It's a galactic for everyone involved. Because, the, the, first of all, the, the, the pastor doesn't usually know anything about science. That's not his job there. So he can't really argue. And, and the other guy doesn't care about religion. So it's a, it's a good man. They don't really talk to each other. But he, say, he brings all his scientific proofs. And the, the, the pastor guy is nodding the whole time. Excellent, beautiful, right, taka. It's so schwer. It's so schwer. Nothing makes sense. Beautiful. And so the other guy's like, so I won. No, what do you mean? That's what faith is about. You, it... It's supposed to be, it's not supposed to make sense. And any Christian, good Christian, who's listening to that says, yeah, wow, he gave it to him. We won that argument, see, he showed how much faith you have to have. And anyone who's not invested in Christianity says, that was a waste of time. <laughs> so, that, that was not Gishmak. And, and so it, it's, a, it's a laughing stock from all angles. Um, hopefully, if, if you would have, if you, the correct way to do that would be, to have someone who believes in religion but believes in science too, who just shows that the science is wrong. That's the correct way to have that argument. Alternatively, to have someone, I don't know why you'd pick a scientist to discuss whether it makes sense to have religion based on something that doesn't make sense. One of the two. But the way they do it doesn't make any sense. Anyways, so back to our Hashem. What we believe in, the only Hashem. We believe the word Hashem, so it breaks down to four parts. Number one is you have to believe that Hashem... What, what, I'm not saying you should. I, it's not even correct to say you have to believe. There were Rishonim who questioned whether all these beliefs make you an api. They're all true, but whether you're an apicurus if you are mistaken about some of them. But they certainly are true. Again, the Ramchalir is not coming to brand people apicurusim. He's just telling you what is it that we actually hold. So what we hold is that Hashem is the first. That means there, He came before everything else. And nothing came into existence at the same time as him. He was there and nothing else was there. There was a time when it was just Hashem. That's belief number one about Hashem. This is all in one. It's one A. One B is that Hashem does not have a beginning or an end. That Hashem is eternal. He didn't have a starting point And he doesn't have an end point. Everything else in creation, ourselves, our minds, and everything else, must have a beginning and an end. There's nothing else that's eternal. And therefore, we cannot grasp the concept of eternity. Because we have nothing to compare it to. So we just know that it's so. Hashem is eternal. There's no beginning. Um, for Americans in the 20th century, 21st century now, we have a hard time with the idea. Uh, uh, right? But uh, up until a few years ago, 100 years ago, that was the standard that everyone thought the whole world had no beginning. That was what Aristotle said. That's what everyone held. Every, scient- every scientist who was not religious held that the world had no beginning and they laughed at religious people who said beginning. Boratius Barley Kim was the biggest collector. 
Ha ha ha, you backwards Neanderthals who believe that there was a beginning. Everyone knows there was no beginning. Until Hubble came along and he, against a lot of uh, resistance, proved that, to the extent that science proves anything, that there was a beginning. And to quote one scientist, he said, I feel like we've been climbing the mountain of knowledge for 3,000 years, and we get to the top and we find the religious guru sitting there laughing at us. Right? As we're growing in our knowledge and deepening our understanding, we've come back to the beginning, that there was a beginning. So science now says there was a beginning to time, and there was a beginning to the universe, and a beginning to everything. So we're masking to all that. We just said there was one thing that didn't have a beginning, and that's Hashem. Stick with the old understanding of that. So again, it's not something you can actually understand, but you can say the words. The third thing that we have to say is that Hashem is the source of everything else that exists. Anything you see in the world came from Hashem. Hashem is the one who made it and brought it into being. And number four, B is part D of number one, is that everything still depends upon Hashem. That's the, uh, the marshal would be electricity. Right? When you turn on a light and an electric current goes into the light and the light comes on, it's not, that's not the last job the electric current does. If you don't keep the current flowing, the light immediately ceases. So, so too, Hashem is not just that He put the world into effect and now it is separate from Him and goes on its own. We believe that everything still remains completely dependent upon Hashem. And if for one moment the active willing of Hashem that it exists would cease, then the thing would cease as well. Okay, that's thing number one. So that's why when we say, I believe in Hashem, that Hashem exists, we mean these four parts. That He is first, that He is eternal, that He is the source of all, and that He continues to sustain all. The second thing we believe in about Hashem is that Hashem is perfect. Um, uh, we're going to speak about the definition of perfect later, but for this conversation, it means that Hashem lacks nothing. He has no deficiencies, and He has no needs. He's able to do all, and He's able to know all, and He has no lack and no need. That's going to become a very important, in the, as we start the second paragraph Hashem next week, that's going to be a very important point that we uh, need to deal with. The third thing, which is hard to understand, is that Hashem must exist. So the way the Rambam puts that is, not, we're not, again, we're not trying to say what Hashem has to do, that He has to exist. What we mean is, that if you're going to talk about existence, it's with Hashem. You can talk about existence without this arm being here. You can talk about existence without me being here. You can talk about existence without the chair, without time. You can talk about existence. You can imagine many other forms of existence. But the existence doesn't start without Hashem. There cannot be existence of anything without Hashem. He's the, so to speak, the matter of which existence is made of. Just like without you, there can't be any thoughts, any of your thoughts. Because it requires you thinking to have it happen. There cannot be existence without Hashem. Okay, number, that's number three. Number four is that Hashem is not dependent upon anything else. Now, clearly that was so before there was anything else. But it's so even after other things were created. Now, I, we say Hashem is a melech, and ain't melech beloy am. Right? So that means Hashem's malchus is dependent upon us accepting it. So again, that is the level three talking about Hashem. That's when we talk about the midas of Hashem. And Hashem interacts with the world as a melech, so then that requires that there be someone accepting that malchus. 
But when you talk about Hashem Himself, so then we say, Adon Olam, Hashem Molach, Peterm Kol Yitzir Hashem was king in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the prototype of kingship. Hashem is that with, before everyone, after everyone. He doesn't require anyone's help for anything. And He's not dependent on anyone. Number, number um, five is that Hashem has no parts. That means that the various midos of Hashem, the various abilities of Hashem are not separate things. That's a totally non-understandable concept, as we mentioned last week. The part of it that, let's say, is understandable is, as I, I said again last week, if you're going to say Hashem is perfect, it means all His features are perfect at once. It can't be that one is and one is not, because they're all the same thing. Again, by us, there is no such thing. There's no such thing as wise and strong being the same thing. That they must both go together. They, they're different abilities. And you could, have, you could imagine at least someone who is wise but not strong, strong but not wise. By Hashem, they're all one. The Ramchal, at, at length in the paragraph, it's in paragraphs, hey, and the long paragraph, hey, and, and vav, is reiterating the point that's not something we can understand, but that's the way it is. And the final thing we have to know about Hashem is that there's only one of Hashem. Now that, at that point, that one's already logical. There can't be two completely independent beings to whom everything else is dependent. If being A relies on being B, so then being A is not God. And if being B relies on being A, then being B is not God. And if they both don't rely on each other, then neither one of them is God. And if they both rely on each other, they're also both not God. Because the definition of God was that everything else relies on Him, and He relies on nobody else. So you can't have two of those. It just doesn't work. Um, so there's only one God. So to review, and we'll stop here for this week, to review, let's look at just the last paragraph in the first paragraph. Nimsoy comes out. The totality of the um, foundational ideas about God are six. And they are. The reality, that's how we'll touch the word amitas, the reality of his existence, may his name be blessed, that's, that Hashem exists, again, with parts A, B, C, and D that we discussed. Um, the second is shleimusoi, that Hashem is perfect. The third is hechrech hametziusoi, that hamotsoi, that he must exist. There cannot be existence without talking about Hashem at the same time. Number four, that he is not dependent upon anyone else in any way for his existence or for anything else about him. Number five is Peshitusoi, that Hashem does not have parts. All his things are one big zach. And number six is Viyichudoi, that Hashem is one alone. If anyone has at home or sees the, the um, Feldheim put out a uh, English Tarek Hashem. They have two of them now. One's elucidated. One, the first one is by Aye uh, Kaplan. I believe if you look, th- there's a mistranslation on the last word here. The last two words. Yehuda he touches as if it was the same thing as uh, as um, the Pshitusa. It seems to all be the same thing. I just, if, I and Shom, if you have it, I believe that you have to change uh, the Taich, the last word that he touches there. But um, if you don't have it, then you don't. Okay, we'll stop here for this week. Uh, um,
if again the, the, this week and last week were very technical, Hashem, future shiurim will be more flowing in the actual text of what the Ramchal is saying and the beautiful ideas, which the the second paragraph, the, the the first three paragraphs have ideas that if you if they if you're misbeinon on and they hit you, they change your life. It, they're a, it's a different way of living in this world. So a lecholapach is if you can. Not not mitaras me, but mitaras the else the information should buy come for those shiurim or listen to them in some other format because it's mamish beautiful. Okay. Yeah.